You're listening to Rocket Night. I wanted to talk to you about your new album, of course, Dust and Bones, and uh, also a little bit about your background, if that's okay, in your in your teaching. I'm kind of interested in uh, getting information for people that are interested in learning the, the guitar, if, if that's okay. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Because okay. uh, you have you have a really interesting background. Um, First of all, let's let's talk about Dust and Bones. This is your well, actually, it's your twentieth album, correct? Yes. That's quite a few. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> when did you actually start your career? Well, for me, um, I actually went out. I moved to California in the late, you know, the late eighties. I went out and auditioned for Ozzy Osbourne. That was sort of, I guess, my first brush with fame, mm-hmm. um, because I, I, you know, sent him some music and I got an audition. And that brought me to California, and I ended up you know, moving there, and um, I signed with Warner Brothers Records in the early 90s, and I had a hit with Hocus Pocus. I did a remake of this old classic, and so it was the early 90s that I had a hit, and ended up, it ended up going to the top five on Billboard. Um, and uh, so that was really where it started. And then, you know, then I went on to do a soundtrack to Endless Summer 2, a movie, um, and then I put out a bunch of instrumental records, and then I started doing this whole series of Christmas albums, because my last name was Hoey, so I did it. Mm-hmm. I actually listened to some of your uh, Christmas music, and, and now I think it's the only Christmas music I can tolerate. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's, I personally am not a fan of Christmas, but listening to your music, I, I definitely dig it. It makes it cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I wanted to make it cool. I was like, you know, why can't we just do a different version of you know this song or 12 Days of Christmas or Silent Night? I like to do you know rock and roll versions of old Christmas classics, and it, I found out there was a lot of other people that liked it too. <laughs> I I think uh, your Ho Ho Hoey series will definitely be part of my tradition. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I and I and I notice you like to take a lot of um, other old classics. Like I saw a video for Linus and Lucy and. Uh, Miserlou, uh, just a lot of old stuff and make them metal. Yes, I do. I do that. I take a lot of the old songs and I just rock them out. And, um, you know, in the beginning, when actually my first solo album I recorded, uh, when I put Hocus Pocus on it, it was sort of a, you know, a similar thing where I, I wanted to I wanted to create a, a remake of an old classic to kind of let people hear something that was familiar and then hopefully mm-hmm. they, would, they would listen to my music. You know, and and it was kind of like to draw them in a little bit, like, hey, check out this song, but maybe you'll like me. Mm -hmm. And I ended up finding out that I I do kind of like twisting old classics a bit, you know, make them them different. It's it's so funny that you did the Hocus Pocus by Focus, the the Dutch band. 
growing up, I mean, that was just, that was the ultimate song. <laughs> yeah. I, gr I grew up in the uh, 70s, so I, I'm very familiar with it. And uh, it was just a fun song. Just like uh, I noticed you redid Frankenstein. I grew up with all the Edgar Winter as a yeah, kid. Exactly. They were quirky, quirky kind of tunes, you know, that had this weird sort of yodeling thing. And, and the Edgar Winter thing was just a, a, an interesting song. Um, and then I did an album called Monster Surf where I did a whole bunch of old surf classics, but I kind of rocked them out a little bit. So... You know, it just keeps me, it keeps me excited, you know, to, to, to do different things. Well, when did you start playing the guitar? I started when I was 14, um, is when I picked it up, and then I became pretty serious, you know, right away by the time I, I was 15, 16. I was really into it. That's all I did, you know. I, I became very obsessed, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I used to play literally six, seven hours a day, and, um, and just never stopped. Ignore my call waiting, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, you know how it is in the political season. Everybody is calling all the time. It just drives me well, crazy. I, I did mine. I did Star 7 out before I called. Before I, I well, I did it before I called you, but I didn't do it before you. Called. Yeah, I should have done it because it's all these stupid political. Uh, I always go Star 7 out if I'm calling somebody for an interview just because my, my mom won't leave me alone. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, about um, growing up. Uh, in the old days, of course, we all grew up with, with vinyl. Did you used to, like, play the albums and try to figure them out? Absolutely, yeah. That's, I mean, that was my, I'm a, I'm a child of the 70s, and I basically did the same thing. I put, you know, put the records on, and, you know, once it was cassette tapes, it was easier to rewind the cassette than, you know, try to lift the needle up and move it back. True. Um, but, yeah, that's how we learned. You know, we had to play by ear, and there wasn't this YouTube stuff, and, um, we had to learn quick and fast, and you know, and I think it developed um, our ear, a sense of ear training. But now kids can really accelerate because everything's right on YouTube, and you can just jump on, and someone will teach you how to do it. Yeah, I wish I wish I had had YouTube and tutorials like you know, thirty some years ago it would have been a lot easier. Right. Well, it's an advantage. I really think I think it is. It accelerates people's learning because they can see somebody doing it in front of them. Um, you know, but you, you know, sometimes you learn something by, you know, struggling a little bit on your own and you can get, you can get some other benefits too. Mm -hmm. Well, so, uh, we might as well just talk about some of the teaching stuff and then I'll get into dust and bones. But s since we're on the topic, if someone is starting out playing the guitar, what, what type of guitar do you think that someone should buy acoustic, electric, or should they get all the, the bells and whistles? What do you think? Well, I, I've been teaching for a long time. I taught for years um, before I got a record deal. I was teaching, you know, to, to make a living. And uh, what I think is there's a misconception where people think, oh, get an acoustic, learn how to play acoustic, and then you'll graduate to electric. Mm -hmm. But sometimes acoustic guitars can be klutzy. The bodies can be really big for small people. The necks can be wide. The strings can be very hard to push down. And it can be discouraging for new guitar players because it doesn't matter how strong you are, how fast you can run, how much weight you can lift. If you've never played the guitar, there's muscles and tendons in your hands that you've never used, and then your calluses start to hurt. So I suggest if somebody's into, like, the blues, mm -hmm. you know, or rock, I say get an electric guitar, get a cheap, you know, $100, $200 guitar to start off with to make sure you really like it. Put some light strings on it so it doesn't hurt your fingers too much. And if, 
if you're into folk music or acoustic music, then start off with acoustic, but maybe get one where they put some light strings on it so your hands don't hurt as much, you know, when you start out. But that's my, that's my thought. Yeah, I think the whole callous thing is what turns a lot of people off. And, and also the width of the neck. I, I got my first guitar when I was 15. And as, especially for females, it's just hard to wrap your finger around the neck. Yes, they get big and they're square and you're trying yeah. to hold it. I agree. And they're not always made for everybody's hands. And, you know, that's another thing. You've got to go in the store and maybe, you know, find one that fits your hand too, you know. But I think when kids start out, immediately they don't want to do scales. They just want to play. And I think a lot of people get discouraged for that reason. They just want to instantaneously play. What does it take to get good and what are some tips as far as starting out? Well, I think the best thing to do when you're first starting out is you've got to play a little bit of music that you like. And, and I think I've noticed if I teach students something that they really want to play, whether it's Green Day or Stevie Ray Vaughan, if, they, if they're trying to play something that they love and they desire to play, they'll try so much harder. Whereas if I say, okay, play Mary Had a Little Lamb, I'm telling you, it's going to lead to smoke on the water. They don't really, they don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what I think it's important to do is, is balance out showing them stuff that, that sounds like music and then also give them stuff that is, you know, the basic chords, maybe a couple simple scales. And the thing is to be consistent. Just play every day, even if you just sit in front of the TV drinking your coffee and you just play a couple chords while you're having coffee. Mm-hmm. It really it will continue to, to grow on your playing, and all of a sudden you'll get better and better. And it only takes about two, two to three months to really get pretty good at playing some basic guitar stuff if you stick with it. What about effects? It seems everybody, when they hear electric guitar, they're hearing it through all sorts of distortion and and people use pedals. I, I know when I started out as a teenager, everything was clean, and I thought, how do I get that sound? Uh, what are effects pedals that people might want to use? Well, it depends on the sound you're going after, but I what I use is EVH. It's the Eddie Van Halen designed amp. I use the Eddie Van Halen. It's called the EVH uh, 5153 is the, is the amp I use, but that's a great sounding tube amplifier with great distortion, great clean sounds. So if you start off with a really great amp, you're halfway there. As far mm-hmm. as effects, I use a wah-wah pedal. I love wah-wah pedal because you can kind of make it sound cool you mm-hmm. can it with rhythm or lead. It's about 100 bucks, uh, and I like the Tube Screamer. It's called the TS9 Tube Screamer. It's a great little pedal because it gives you a boost, but it doesn't take over your sound completely. It just adds to it. And those are my two favorites. I do like reverb and delay. I'm a big delay fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I put them in the effects loop. As in the back of the amp is a loop um, if you want to get technical. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. when you That's plug okay. it in there, the sound is a little clearer than if you just keep them all in the same chain. Um, but I also recommend people getting little you know, processes that sort of do a lot of things in one. You can get these multi-effects units, and those are really fun, too, because you can get everything right there pre- pre-programmed for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... It's. I noticed um, I, you work a lot with Lita Ford, and I've always admired her mm-hmm. a lot. And uh, it's. I got a guitar. I was. We're, we're talking like 1977. I thought you know the Runaways were big, and you know the whole, the whole Susie Quattro, all this stuff, and it didn't work out that way for me, obviously, but. I always have admired people, you know, that that play really well. 
And uh, I guess that's kind of why I'm asking these questions. My, my first guitar was uh, a Gibson S1. And uh, it's a 1977. I still have it. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I had an old Sears Silvertone amp. <laughs> oh, those are great. Yeah, it was all the classic stuff. I mean, I worked my way up. I, I mean, I still play guitar, drums, you name it. But, cool. Um, well, i got to tell you, Lita Ford's awesome. Uh, working with her, you know, you, you realize I loved her music. I was a fan anyway, but once we became friends and I started producing her, you know, I really realized that she is the real deal, man. You know, she just walks the walk. She talks the talk. She is completely what you see, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, she just, it's like in her blood, you know. She's mm -hmm. born to do what she does. And it's so great to see her because she is, uh, she is back in a, in, a, in a way that's so strong right now. She's on tour with Hailstorm, who's a young, younger, uh, younger singer, sort of, in a, in a lot of ways, mimicking Lita, and here's Lita on tour with her, and they're out there playing together, and I, I love seeing it. And uh, Lita, has, you know, and I are going to get together actually next month and do a little bit of song demoing for her next album. She wants me to help her with the next one, so I'm happy to do it. I love seeing different musicians collaborate, and uh, we might as well talk about Dustin Bones because you have the one song there coming home with Lita, and uh, it's it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful ballad. I really enjoyed the song a lot so much you know i wrote the song and i i thought about lita i thought about a duet and she happened to be on in town on tour and i flew up to her bus with you know a laptop i'm lita you gotta sing on this song with me and she listened to it and she's like i like the song let's do it so i kind of got her to sing while she was on tour <laughs> right. it, it's it's um I, I took some notes here i listened to all the songs on your on your dust and bones and uh thank you it I put down, uh, it's a great sing-along, too. It's some, and it also, what you're saying is very much real life. You're talking, there's a message behind it. Yes. And I think it's something that everybody can kind of relate to about going home. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I try, you know, I try to make the whole album about real life, and I always find the best things I write are some things I either, you know, feel or experience or I witness or something. Um, and, and the other stuff doesn't come out as good. <laughs> well, Dustin, Dustin Bones, you pay homage, and it's it's obvious to a lot of the different people that you've admired through the years. And there's a lot of variety of of different styles in it, but it it's really a nice mix. Thanks. Uh, who's your daddy? Definitely rockabilly. Sure. I, I love it. It's it's. I wrote down. It's it's cl it's almost like a clean sound on the guitar, but it has a little bit of fatness to the tone, yeah. and it's just a lot of fun. And immediately makes me want to get up and start jitterbugging. Yeah, that's what my mother. My mother's like seventy-seven, and she said, "Mary, I can't sit down when you put that song on." She was just like, said she goes, "I want to put on a skirt and start jumping right now." Exactly. Exactly. It's it's like you can't sit in your seat. That that might be a good single, actually. For that reason, um, oh right, I like it, and I'm really into the whole retro um, thing. And that's it's funny. I notice a lot of the different musicians that, that are metal musicians are going back to blues and stuff. Uh, were you a blues lover already, or what kind of got you back into the blues? Yeah, you know, I love the blues. I mean, growing up in the '70s, you know, obviously there was always like blues rock and uh -huh. kinds of things. 
you know, I wasn't like so much growing up in the muddy waters and everything, but as time went on, I became a bigger blues fan. And I think when Stevie, Ra- Stevie Ray Vaughan came out in the 80s and he was playing with David Bowie, you know, hearing that singing blues guitar in the middle of a pop song like Let's Dance mm-hmm, grabbed mm-hmm. me. And David Bowie introduced him to the world. And, and then when I heard the fire that Stevie Ray Vaughan played with, like, you know, this incredible virtuosity, but yet he was playing this simple music called the blues, mm-hmm. the people's music, it made me go, whoa, what's this dude drinking, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, um, it made me get excited to, to master the blues, and, and it's always been in my blood. But I've always tried to make records that, you know, would become commercial success, you know, or, or compete with what's on the radio, because that's your natural instinct. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm a white guy from Lowell, Massachusetts. Yeah, that's grew up true. in the Mississippi, so I never felt like I was an authentic blues person. And I think a lot of musicians do that to themselves. They, they think, well, what do I, you know, how do I deserve to play the blues? I haven't, you know, I haven't suffered enough, or I haven't, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in that area. But I really realized that it doesn't mean that this, that's not as important as playing blues because you love it. And I, and I realized I don't have to change the face of blues to do it, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. where I can enjoy it. So I, um, I'm making that commitment to really stay with the blues rock thing because it is so much a part of my roots. Well, we wouldn't even know about a lot of the blues if the Brits hadn't brought it here in the 60s. Absolutely. And, and, they're, yeah. and they're white, but yet they feel it. We all feel it because it is music of the people. Well, you know what? You, you just said it. And the thing is, the blues, I realize that you don't have to be black. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be Asian. You could be anything. Exactly. About what it is, is it's a feeling. It's an emotion. And the best blues teacher that I ever had when I took private lessons, he said that to me. He said, don't just play the blues because I told you to play the blues. He said, only play the blues because you're feeling the blues. And he said, and it doesn't mean you have to be sad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but you just have to put your whole self into it. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's funny because even playing clean guitar, I I listen to like I love like Eric Johnson and it's in like Stevie of course it's it's how you touch the strings it's the tone it's you can hear emotion I mean you can feel it yeah it's it's blues is music to feel it's not music to just listen to exactly exactly and you know when <laughs> I record in the studio there's two different mindsets you know I've made lots of records like Lita Ford living like a runaway where if you listen to it we you know we crafted these songs we layered tones we layered acoustics and electrics and you know it's like making a rock album or whatever you call it everything's sort of in its place you know all the harmonies and and everything but the blues is the opposite of that you know it's it's a performance and when I started recording blues music again I realized that I had to go in there and give it everything I had and it wasn't about a perfect take but it was about the right take you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you are playing a resonator, aren't you, um, in some of the songs? Yes, I started using a, a resonator guitar made by Republic Guitars, actually, out of uh, Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And I have a smaller kind of steel one that has a cutaway, a little bit smaller body, and there's a lace sensor pickup on it so I can plug it in and get, get, some, you know, get some feedback and distortion on it. And I did a tribute to Johnny Winter on the Dobro, and the album opens up with the Dobro on uh, Boxcar Blues because I wanted it to sound like, you know, really old school. And then when the band kicked in, I wanted it to sound more like Led Zeppelin. So I, I was trying to show the opening of the record being, hey, we're going to take the old blues, but now we're going to modernize it a little bit. Actually, I re- I, that might be my favorite one on the album is Boxcar Blues. Uh, right on. Yeah, I love slide guitar. And I was wondering, did you have to learn the slide later on in life? 
Uh, is this something like a recent thing? Well, I actually, I've always loved slide, and I, I would say I've dabbled in it, um, but playing the resonator guitar, I have to, you know, playing an open tuning, uh, open D tuning, but I tuned down one half step, so, you know, the whole album um, is down a half step, you know, to E flat, so mm-hmm. everything, you know, with, instead of A, it's now A flat, but I, I, I um, had to learn the open tuning, and that took practice, and I you know, developed the slide more in the last few years um, and where it doesn't sound like, you know, the Dovo's been drinking. <laughs> Isn't uh, that how Dwayne used to play a lot, Allman? You know, oh, like, yeah, Dwayne, well, Dwayne Allman, yeah. he was big um, on, op- I know, open D tuning was exactly. important for him. Well, I like Allman Brothers a lot, so. Big time, and he did, he, he what's cool is he would do, he would do slide on his Les Paul, you know, it's just regular electric guitar too, which, which I really love, and Derek Trucks is, you know, obviously the new god of that. Oh, yeah. I've seen him a lot. Trucks. And Susan Tedeschi. I'm, I'm here in Florida, and they live down here, too. And they, okay. oh, there's, nice. a, there's a lot of blues festivals down here. Yeah, we're going to be coming down there. Actually, we're booking some shows in Florida in some smaller clubs, and we're also looking to do some of the festivals this coming year. Oh, oh, that's good to know, because I saw that you were going to do the cruise thing in January, but I, I noticed most of your touring is in California and the Northeast. Yes. And Detroit, which I'm actually from Detroit originally. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but I, it would be nice if you were to come down to Florida. We are. We're planning on it. We've been, we've been neglecting so many parts of the country, to be honest with you, and signing with Mascot, we're getting a little more support now to get the tour going in more areas, so we're, we're excited. Let's see, some of the other songs that I, that I noticed. Uh, you like the Wawa a lot, which I do love. <laughs> yeah. uh, Born to Love You definitely has... It has like a ZZ Top-ish kind of feel to it, <laughs> I noticed. It does, exactly right. ZZ Top meets Jimi Hendrix with a Wawa or something. Mm-hmm. Exactly, that's the way I described it. And you use the Wawa in Ghost of Yesterday, which is really a, a hard-driving song, kind of an 80s sound to it, mm-hmm. which I I noticed too. Yeah. I'm just... If that, I'm just going down the line, giving you my impression, because I, I always like to listen to people's music and describe. This time tomorrow, very dark, moody, almost a sexy sound to it. <laughs> yes, for sure. That's, that's the one that's your tribute to Robin Trower, and it's, it's kind of dark yes. sounding. What, what, tell me about that. What, how did that one come about? Uh, well, this time tomorrow, I I came up with the music first. Actually, you know, a lot of times I come up with the music first, and then I kind of write titles, and I have these titles and books that I just write down. I think or I'd like to write a theme about or whatever. And uh, that song, the music was almost completely done, and we were in the studio. And my drummer, because it was so slow and lethargic, he couldn't find out where he couldn't he didn't know where the chorus was. So he said, "Gary, can you just sing anything just so I can know where the songs are?" I said, "Well, I don't really have the lyrics yet." Mm-hmm. But I have this idea called This Time Tomorrow, and I started singing the song, and a lot of it started to unfold in the studio and the, and the, the lyrics. In the beginning, I couldn't find the right melody. I kept going too high, and, you know, I'm not Robert Plant, so I didn't want to fake it. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. to find my range. So I found this kind of low, sexy melody at the last minute that I like, thought, this is kind of sexy, but, but the song has such a powerful chorus that, you know, this time tomorrow, I love writing in the moment, and I wanted to write a song about somebody just realizing, like, there's a massive change happening in their life, and this time tomorrow, 
things will not be the way they are today. Right. And so having that urgency of that lyric, it just made me go, wow, that's really what it's going to be. And then what I wanted to do was make it kind of a, a, a kind of a love song, to sort of, sort of speak, where, where somebody just, you know, put everything into this person and it didn't turn out to be what they thought. And that's why it says, you know, I'll be gone this time tomorrow. So it's, that's it. Um, is that kind of your process where you come up with a melody and then you keep like thoughts in a notebook or write stuff down? I come up with a lot of titles and then I write the songs very quickly. Usually after I have the title, I find out which song it fits musically and then I go, bang, that's going to work for that, that music. And then all of a sudden the rhythm of the lyrics starts coming. And I sing a lot of gibberish. I don't always have the lyrics. Um, one of the best songs for me on the album was Dustin Bones, the title track because I had the music and I literally didn't have any lyrics. All I had was a title called Dustin Bones and it was almost like a gift from God. I, I walked up to the microphone and I sang Drinking Whiskey on the River's Edge and mm-hmm. then the rest of the lyrics just came out. I never wow. wrote those words on a piece of paper. It was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, that, that one had kind of a, a Stevie Ray Vaughan sound to it. I, yeah, it's, it's got a moodiness to it, yeah. uh, but the chorus is catchy, you know, it goes into that double time chorus, and I think that kind of makes it kind of hooky, because um, I do like big hooks, man, I'm a sucker for, I'm a sucker well, for big hooks, you know, everybody. I really love, yeah. I love big choruses, I always have. I really liked Blind Faith. Oh, right on. I wrote down, it's kind of a dirty blues, I wrote Great Groove, and, the, and I like the slide, but it's kind of that... You know what I mean, that dirty, swampy kind of... Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> well, you, you achieved it. You achieved it. You hit it right on the head. Yeah. Soul Surfer. Uh, looks like it's an instrumental. Using Use a lot of reverb. Yes. Well, that's that Dick Dale sound, you know. I, yeah. I think because I scored in the summer, too, the surf movie, I, I'll always have the surf in my blood. Um, so that was a song I wrote, and uh, I'm like, you know what, it's kind of surfy sounding with the reverb, but I, I still like it, and a lot of my fans like In the Summer, too, so I'm like, you know what, there's going to be fans that'll like that, you know? Of course, of course. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong. It's just, it's kind of a retro feel. It is. It really is. And, and you know, i gotta, I got to tell you, I see a lot of connection between blues and surf music. I really do, because the blues has a, you know, the way they, the songs are written and the way surf music is written is a lot of times it's, it's a one four five over a cool riff with a couple mm-hmm. slides, reverb, but the way it bounces back and forth between the melody and the and the improvisation, that's what I've always loved about surf. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a big hoopla. You know, if you listen to that song, it's not a big hoopla. It just comes in and it kind of sneaks in and it says, "Here we are," and we're taking you on a little ride. And it, and it, and it's not, uh, it's not like a perfect structure. You know. Mm-hmm. I think we covered everything we needed to cover, and thank you so much, Gary, and I love Dustin Bones, okay? It was a pleasure to chat with you. I really appreciate you actually listening to the album. I really did listen to it, yeah. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. We'll stay in touch. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock at Night. Thanks for the intro melody. It's called Get On Down by Billy Bass Alford. Thanks.